Welcome to another edition of Michael L. Craver Presents. Look at this. It's 4.59 Sunday, August the 6th, and it is just a beautiful rain outside the window. You may get to hear a little bit of this. These North Carolina thunderstorms will often uh, do things that could uh, just make a podcast puff out like a candle uh, with the right location for a lightning strike so we'll we'll see if this thing stays on the air but uh, i hope all of you out there are having a great weekend and that you're uh, enjoying yourselves i was looking at my notes where <laughs> the thing that stands out of these three giant letters D and that's not dungeons and dragons folks that's do not disturb it says right here, written very clearly, it says, do not disturb is the best option. I can't agree more. I can't agree more. When, I, um, when I'm doing anything for work or you just want some peace and quiet, do not disturb. Save your battery and do the airplane mode if you're really believe in the in the do not disturb option one is is kind of different than the other i suppose i don't it's not coming to mind whether or not you can differentiate that some notifications will can be allowed so it's not a a blackout of do not disturb nothing you know that's that in and of itself is a setting that you will not get any notifications but i'm not sure that you can't make exceptions within that and uh no it's kind of it's it's, it's been a, a wonderful tool for me because i just love the idea my father was at breakfast a couple of weeks ago and he said something about looking something up on his phone he'll do it when he can. When he gets home, I thought he must have a good memory because I don't always remember things. You know, five minutes later, but he genuinely like he he wasn't carrying his phone, and I know we all pay these whatever you might pay. Some people have discounts; they're on somebody else's plan. You have a phone furnished to you through some means, but we have smartphones that are active and they're mobile 24 7 right so he don't care you know left it right at home wherever it was in his house took off doesn't worry about you know anything else and i've always you know i thought about that when i did that personality test a lot of the questions that are in that Myers-Briggs test are along the lines of do you like doing things traditionally or do you like finding you know scrapping out the old and, and you have to do something new you gotta do something fresh and so much of what I do is is based on tradition somebody brought to my attention they said hey 
You know, the only written review of your podcast is a negative one. I said, what? <laughs> I didn't know you could write a review. I had to go looking to find what this was, and I don't, you don't pay any attention. It doesn't notify me. If they notified me, I'd delete the email anyway, wouldn't I? So for the sake of this conversation that I'm having, let's see what's uh, what's out there. Hold on. I, I don't have it in front of me, so let's pull up. I believe this is it. Let's see if I go to the bottom. This says uh, from July the 29th, one out of five stars. Oh, no. No, not one out of five stars. It's, <laughs> it's the title of it says Narcissism at its Finest. The level of self-obsession, self-importance. And seemingly obliviousness is astounding. It's like they're serving some kind of a uh, a three-syllable minimum at this bar here. It facilitates, it should be facilitates, between tragically comic and absolutely infuriating. Well, I always looked at it like this, folks. And we've talked about this. Old 80s movies get a lot of this stuff right. And it's, it's one of those things that's it's been genuinely true across uh, science and math and more than anything, psychology. The way that your body reacts in those situations for somebody to go, that's infuriating! You have to care for that to happen. You know, the girl gets mad at you at school and she... Oh, she... Yeah, but she's mad at you. That means she cares. <gasps> Oh, yeah. You know, and that's always been the... That's the line. I was trying to think where that comes from, but usually my memory in the, nowadays is just so, just like, bam! Um, it's Artie Lang in Dirty Work, Norm MacDonald. And the girl from next door, um, the car dealership, comes over, and he can't remember her name. He calls her Mildred. Um, old Norm MacDonald. And she gets mad at him, and uh, I think she got, I can't remember, she got fired, she got in trouble at her job, whatever it was, and she walks off, and he's like, oh my God, she, you know. So Artie Lang says, no, there's a difference, she's mad at you, like, you know, you know now she's, she cares what you think. You're under her skin, more or less, is the way he's saying it. And that's one of those things where, as children, you, you do those things to infuriate each other. Girls got cooties! You know, and this is the grown-up version of that, where somebody's <laughs> trying to write something. That's narcissism at its finest. Let me ask you something, folks. Are you a big fan of manners? I know sitting next to my leather couch downstairs from Ashley Furniture... That's listen to those. That doesn't that sound fancy. I got this leather couch, man. Ashley Furniture is in my living room. I bought it from tra from Transit Damage at whatever price I paid because it came off of a, a wholesale truck that was either from a furniture market or somewhere else. It's a fancy couch that I bought from a design plant. That's right. I went right into the headquarters. Told them to give me a brand new one. I don't know where that couch's history is. It was new. It's new to me. It wasn't used, but it, anyway, Transit Damage is a place that sells 
essentially lost freight. And uh, it was a great couch. And, it, yeah, it happens to come from Ashley Furniture. That's the, if it came from somewhere else, it came from somewhere else. I didn't select it based on the manufacturer. But it sounds good presenting it that way, doesn't it? And I always think that those things are, they, they do. It's like it riles somebody up. Oh, you think that's special? I don't think it's special. I was just mentioning details. Apparently, you value them so much more than I do. I said it as a matter of fact, evidentiary kind of information. It's for accuracy. It doesn't have anything to do with being, uh, as, uh, as the wrestler version of Michael Craver goes, the elite. And I predate all of that stuff that you see on TBS and TNT and pay-per-view and everything else. That all-elite wrestling and the elite and the young bucks and all that stuff. That's mine. I was that before, ten years before they ever did any of that stuff. The elite. Savior. Michael Craver. Um, but the uh, the review was something else because I looked at it and I said, Nar- narcissism? That's right. You only talk about yourself. It's my podcast with my name. Who else would I talk about? Emily Post's Etiquette. Big, thick, hardback book sitting next to my Ashley Furniture couch. That's why I brought it up. There's two books on my coffee table. One of them is inspirational quotes from the Reverend Billy Graham. And the other one is Emily Post's Etiquette. Now, one of the things that's always been good manners, it's just understood, is you don't talk about people who are not in the room. You don't talk about people behind their back. You give people a chance to tell their side of the story, etc. Narcissism. Now, let me ask you, where does the... You're supposed to love yourself as yourself and you're good enough just the way you are and all that. So where does that stuff meet this field of dreams kind of this this stargate kind of force field, this line that you cross where it goes from you're loving yourself into narcissism. And I always said there's a catalyst to this, right? You have to be doing something to your it has to be advantageous. That you have to be uh, manipulating somebody else, something of that nature. That's just the way I look at it. Now, if you look up the definition of something like narcissism, yeah, they think a lot of themselves, but I don't. We're, draw a line between that self-confidence and over-inflating or anything. I've never said anything that's not true. So, because I'm just a man and I dress the way that I dress. Here, you want to go down the line about little things about me? Here, we'll narcissism this out. The headphones that I'm going to use when I'm working this evening are ones that I work real hard to buy, or they were a Christmas gift, and I use them because they were given to me, and I don't care what kind they are. My car is, is, we've gone over this, 2007 Honda Accord. It's got 220,000 miles on it. I have means to do whatever else I'd like to do, but I don't care. I happen to have a podcast where I share a lot of things, otherwise I wouldn't, and you wouldn't call me a narcissist. Otherwise, just because you hear it here doesn't translate over into all these other places. Ask anybody else who's around me who's not in this circle of like wanting to 
to know about my online presence or listen to me or go across a philosophical conversation. Ask them if they know anything about this side of my life. And they would, right? Because I don't advertise it. I don't care. They don't care. If they did, great, but they'll be missing out because I'm not going to mention it. They'll have to find it some other way. It doesn't mean anything to me. I live a fairly simple life. You know, I bought enough shoes to, to have shoes forever, right? And spend a tremendous amount of money on them either. I mean, all the shoes that I have together are maybe $250. And I expect that to last me another 20 years. It's pretty good, right? Think of how often people have to buy shoes. In 20 years, have you spent more than $250? Yeah, probably. It's just efficiency. That's not narcissism. That's just good business sense or good fiscal sense. If you don't like some of the way that the stories are told or that I come across in a certain way, do you want me to use, like, depressing, like, this damaging language that I should just, that's right, he just gets on that podcast, he just tears himself apart. And I'm like, why would, why would somebody do that to themselves? I hate myself. Let me tell you about this decision I made. It, it sucks, man. I did that on the last episode, right? The judgmental episode where I can say, look, I've been through this many situations. I've been through those silly phases. I've said a lot of silly things to people that you you tell it to them for the story. I've been uh, haphazardly promiscuous at other stages of my life, things of that nature. Yeah. we On the way to getting to the right way, many people learn... Through trial and error. Not everybody reads Emily Post's etiquette and follows the King James Bible, and, and that's their margin for decision-making. So many of us, you know, we're out here and we do what we do, and, oh, I'm going to try it my own way, and we're going to get it wrong. And then often we default back to those things and go, hey, somebody already built this structure. Maybe we could try using their guidelines. And that's why... So many things go back to religion and things like that as time goes on. It, it, it's just a nature of, of who we are and how life plays out. You know, people flock to people like uh, well, whomever your <coughs> excuse me, political heroes might be. Well, I say political, but if you're a person who's really big on theology and that you've had problems with the church, etc., you might go to someone like Christopher Hitchens, right? You might enjoy someone like Sam Harris, who's in between, who's, who's looking for that medium. You might go to someone like Jordan Peterson, who's gone the long way around to find all of these structures of psychology and, and human behavior and then has reverted back to now tying them into things uh, in a religious um, connotation. And if you look at like the decisions that I've made to share stories or otherwise and say, Michael, you know, you really love yourself. Who else am I supposed to love? Everybody else? Well, I talk about donating time and doing these things for folks and it's kind of why I go to work and why I don't have a job that's all about me. A team leader. What do you... It is tremendously selfless. I've <coughs> of all the money I've 
made a, an overwhelming majority of that has gone to to other things that in could indirectly benefit me, just the community around me or something. And it, I just don't follow the logic behind saying, well, yeah. This guy's self-absorbed. As opposed to what? Laying in a body of water and absorbing all the liquid? I don't, I don't quite understand. This is like when someone sells um, this bill of goods to people and says, you know, you're self-centered. Well, hell, where else would your center be? You'd be falling down everywhere if your center wasn't within yourself. You're always self-centered. You have a center of balance. You're the center of your own universe. You could look at it and say, you know, you got this um, mentality of the band of brothers and the army and the United States Marine Corps. And it's not about you, right? It's about the Corps and the, the Commandant. And he's going to get his and you're going to follow orders. And if he says go run and sacrifice yourself for your country, you're going to do it. Okay, that might not be along the lines of being like self-centered. But physiologically, you're obviously self-centered. Otherwise, how how could you operate? The other way of looking at the way the world works is, especially through the descriptions, is, is if you're not fitting the definition of narcissism. Here, we'll read it out. Let's, let's pull it up. We got the old machine here, and it says... An excessive interest in or admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. Uh, I'm not a big fan of my physical appearance. Um, psychoanalysis. Self-centeredness arising from failure to distinguish the self from external objects. Well, I certainly know where external objects end and where I begin. Uh, either in very young babies or as a feature of a mental disorder. Psychology. It's a selfishness involving a sense of entitlement. Well, I don't have a sense of entitlement. I work hard for everything. A lack of empathy. I, I don't know that I have a great deal of, of sympathy, but I have a great deal of empathy. I'm quite empathetic. Um, a need for admiration. Pfft, I don't care. Uh, as characterizing a personality type. Yeah, I, none of those things are true. In fact, the synonyms that are below this, the number one synonym is vanity. Number two is self-love. Three is self-admiration, self-adulation, self-absorption. Um, you, In a way, you'd be a cannibal if you were self-absorption. Just, just think about that process. But um, vanity. Escaping vanity is the name of the podcast, buddy. Are you saying I'm doing a poor job of, <laughs> of of what I'm talking about? Because I continue to make podcasts and they stream however many places. No, that's not escaping vanity. Just hiding in the woods like Ted Kaczynski. That'd be escaping vanity. I don't quite see it that way. Kaczynski sent a uh, manifesto to, <laughs> to the New York Times and got it published <laughs> so that we would change the world based on him. That's that's probably a little bit of narcissism there, buddy. Because um, he quite manipulated the system through uh, a, a series of explosions and a lot of fear. In my case, I and yeah, I'm self-centered because that's where I'm at. That's where I'm sitting. That's why I can walk down the stairs without falling and having bruises at the end. 
am I not distinguishing myself from external objects? Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I'm not really tied to my possessions. I've thought about this a lot. If my house burned down, what would I have to have tomorrow? And there's a tote uh, that has the family photo albums. I've never taken and like digitized them or scanned them or anything. If I ever did that, then I don't really know. There's a handful of things that came from grandfather, great grandfather, their family, kind of like just knickknacks. Those probably are keepsakes that are irreplaceable from like a logistical standpoint. You couldn't get another one. But, like, as I look around my office, there's photographs of me and my father and my children. Keepsakes from my mother's office, you know. If I didn't have them, I don't have them. I've moved more times in my life than than most folks. And um, a lot of the things that I have acquired are not because I went out and and bought them. And I must have this, this, that, and the other. People have handed something to me and said, hey, this will mean more to you than somebody else. I know you'll appreciate it. And I have those conversations with my father when I go in, the, in his shop. And he's got a lot of family, you know, things. The wagon my grandfather used to have to deliver mail or uh, my great-grandfather's mailbag from the U.S. Postal Service. He said, you know, I'm, you, make sure you get this, you know. It's just, it's just a leather bag that somebody carried mail in 100 years ago. What's it mean to me? It's got that family tie to it. And that's an appreciation for heritage and tradition. That's not narcissism. Looking around my room is, uh, let's see, there's baseball posters and The Last Supper, except it's got Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers and Pinhead and Leatherface and all those guys. It's Michael Jordan, Shawshank Redemption, Johnny Cash at Folsom, The Shining, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, a couple of different uh, religious posters like Jesus arm wrestling the devil. Uh, and uh, some obscene bumper stickers. Well, it's not really obscene, but it says my kid is the inmate of the month at Guantanamo Bay, because uh, that was kind of uh, clever. And uh, the other one, I think, over there is it's behind my door, but I'm pretty sure it says something like no seat belts, we die like real men. Something or no airbags, we die like real. Something like that. I saw it in a picture, and I said, I I must possess that, so I bought it. Michael, you wear a seatbelt. I don't, actually. I wear, in case there's any law enforcement officers out there listening, I have um, seatbelts that work, but um, in order to keep the alarm from going off, I bought a couple of those dog uh, leashes that that snap into the seatbelt, and you just snap that in and and just leave it drop between the seats, and it'll keep your seatbelt alert, your alert from going off. So you ride around without a seatbelt, and you don't have to listen to all that crap. You don't have to disable a sensor or anything else. And then if you have a dog you're transporting, it comes in handy too. I guess I could hook something else to it. I don't know what I would hook to it, but anyway, that's what I do. Because I'm so narcissistic, I make sure I don't get thrown from the car and destroyed and killed in a car accident. Now, I've been a little reckless with a lot of different decisions. That's probably why there's a touch of CTE and some other things that are creeping around in my brain. You know, the chronic traumatic encyclopathy. I've hit my head more than a few times in in wrestling and otherwise. And uh, I think that's the catalyst for some of the vertigo and other things that I've had at at points in my life. And and as a matter of fact, as I've gotten older, and that's happened more in the last 
three or four months where I'll stand up real fast and I'm like, ooh, ooh. And I've maintained pretty good composure to not like, you know, obviously lean against the wall and go like, oh my God. But, you know, there's a lot of times I've stood up and I'm next to other people I'm working with. And part of standing up like that is (laughs) my knees don't work like they used to. And you get to standing up and you're, ooh, my head don't weigh as much as it used to because I'm lightheaded. You know, and you you got that kind of... Uh oh, we might we may fall down. So uh, I've been able to maintain that composure, but I'm sure as I get older, and I'm not six foot, and I don't know what I weigh now, two hundred twenty three pounds. I, I walk a lot. I do a lot of physical things. So on the outside, my body probably doesn't have a an undesirable appearance, but. Um, internally, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what it looks like in there. I mean, I've, I've, I drink almost exclusively Dr. Pepper and I probably put down, hmm, I'll give you a good example. I threw this five gallon bucket that I used for a trash can out yesterday and there are already one, two, three bottles in there along with the, in the bottom there's, there used to be 12 donuts in there about 24 hours ago uh, in that plastic case. And this Dr. Pepper that I'm drinking on from today is easily 75% of the way gone. I mean, in the course of seven days, mm, I, for a day, I would, 30 liters of Dr. Pepper in a quarter, in a week, it would be, I think that's understating it, but it wouldn't be overstating it. So that'd be that would be like a what I would consider the the basement guess that I would give, because it's it's probably three a day would be twenty one. But I'm drinking two two liters a day probably. It'd be four times seven days. It'd be twenty eight. And the days I'm off, maybe sometimes more. I doesn't count anything I drink at restaurants or anything. Um, yeah. So you got that going through your body. That's, you know, every one of these is five, every single one of these two liters. So if I'm drinking two a day, I think is, is it's like 500% because it's 80 times 400%. Six servings times 80%, is 480%. Each one of them is like 480% of a 2,000 calorie diet for sugar for the day. That has nothing to do with anything else I eat. So that doesn't donuts. On top of this, on top of you know the, the second two liter, my energy level probably has a tremendous amount to do with that caffeine intake, sugar intake, and going through the roof. Now, whether or not it will destroy my uh, organs at a more rapid pace, I don't know. I don't have anybody running, you know, blood work every so often or anything else. I don't really, I don't really go. If I have to have, um, you know, a updated physical um vaccine records i mean i work a lot where i cut hands and stuff like that so you know it's not bad to have tetanus shots every so often or i'm constantly um if i run into an issue with my hands cosmetic or otherwise i'll just cut it with a razor blade and 
that I'm using for work. It's a utility knife, carpet cutting knife. For as you guys know, you hold the knife, you push the button, you know, the blade comes out the end. I just use whatever I got in my pocket whenever I need to cut a extra skin off my hand, or there's a blister or splinter or whatever it might be. I don't pour a bunch of alcohol on it and do it under some controlled, very very sterile environment. It's just whatever I got in front of me. Now, I don't call out sick very often, so I don't know that my body hasn't built up this wonderful tolerance for immunity, but you could call it lucky, because I don't know. I don't quite know what the truth of it is. It could be that I'm, you know, living on borrowed time or, you know, expired credit or, you know, pick up a, pick a nice metaphor. And those are just... Ways of gambling, right? <clears throat> but, oh, hold on. Maybe I should approach this from my true self, where I'm the narcissist. You know what, folks? I'll do it this way because it's the best way. There is no other way. Taking the time to pour rubbing alcohol on your hand, finding a clean thing to cut yourself with, going and getting somebody. You know, I'm so good, I just go pay somebody else to do it. Go to the urgent care. Let the taxpayers help me out with it. We'll share the cost. We'll <laughs> Why should I incur the cost for all this wonderful work I'm doing to benefit everybody else? Let them pay for it. I don't know. I've never looked at it through that lens. You only talk about yourself. It's my podcast with my voice from my point of view. Why would I talk about anybody else? I mean, I tell the stories from my point of view, but you can't properly or through etiquette and manners. You can't do it any other way. The other person's not here. So I'm going to say what I got to say, and, and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you only talk about you. No, I talk about a tremendous amount of situations, whether they're physico philosoph uh, philosophical, physiological, whether they're process-driven, whether you know I can get the words out clearly or not. And a lot of it is, is where I have had the personal experience of being the guinea pig, the lab rat, you pick the words right, pick the description, and in trial and error resulted in this. And this is the process I followed, and these are the processes I think that would work the best. That has got nothing to do with excessive interest in or admiration of oneself. I'm the one who made the mistakes. Like, where where does that come in? Well, you know, because uh, you're talking about how I screwed up. Is that what I'm doing? Am I masking it up and saying, you know, I found the true way to do this. And here's what it is. And I, you know, and, and so I admit that I have the answer now. But I leave out the part where I screwed up and I was flawed and I, you know, destroyed a lot of time and energy to try to arrive at this situation. Ridiculousness. Oh. So wild. Physical appearance. I just cut my hair myself in the in the bathtub and well over the bathtub because it's easier to collect the hair. I've got a jacuzzi tub in there, which is I say that just because of the it's wider or something. Anyway, um, a jacuzzi tub tub came with the house. I didn't go out of my way to do that, but um, 
Anyway, the point of it being that I was like, you know what? I went to Great Clips, and one side of my hair grows quicker than the other side. And because I part it, um, I don't know, let's, let's say I part it left to right. Well, the hair that's on the left, just beyond the part, was growing at such a rate that it was it was growing higher and so it looked like I hadn't you know it it looked kind of like my yard was good but my neighbor's yard was overgrown and so I'd go in there and have them trim down this the part that's sticking up and because I'm parting the rest of the hair it can get long it's long I'm taking the comb all right pulling it over pulling it over pulling it over I got that Clark Kent Superman kind of pulled to one side haircut right But the hair that's on the side of my head that's not being parted was outgrowing it. It was looking like a chia pet. Oh, hold on. I'm supposed to be narcissistic. I'm not supposed to beat up my physical appearance here. Um, no, nah, but I, I just... I'll, I'll beat that to death. So it doesn't have any life left or any, for anybody else. But, uh, no, the, the hair was growing at such a rate that I went over there and I said, Hey, you know, this here's what's going on. Oh, yeah, I see that. So, of course, they pull my hair to the side they use these clips they try to buzz it down and then i'm like oh thanks and then i just thought to myself you know i'm tired of this bullshit i, I just am like i i had my hair i was i was seeing somebody a while back and it's been i mean a long while back and i had my hair long enough that i could put it into um well i use the uh I'll use rubber bands. I'll use the the traditional black, you know, stretch kind of hair bands. I use the sports ones that are more like rubber um, that a lot of people wouldn't use because they oh, pull your hair out. Nah, I don't care. That's why I would just use rubber bands right off the newspaper or whatever else I might be working with. Like here, give me that and put my hair up with that. Um, and for some reason, I agreed to. Try a different haircut. One where I had to put, as they say, put product in it, put gel in it, put whatever in it, and, you know, then get it to go to the side. But then as the day goes on, you know, you got to add water or something because it don't stay. Everybody, well, all of my people, my sons have a tremendous, as they call it, cowlick or sections where their hair stands up when it's shorter. Just, it's a family thing. So... I got it was 20 minutes before SummerSlam yesterday, and I just looked, I was like, you know what, I'm tired of combing this hair, I'm tired of this crap. I've got some Remington, I didn't pay more than about $25 for these, but I'm going to hype it, right? I got the Remington Indestructible Shears, the Clippers, that I'm pretty sure I bought from like a Walmart or something, like I said, they're not very expensive. But I wasn't gonna tell you that. I was. I got the Remington Indestructible Clippers. Well, that, that sounds fancy. <laughs> well, they're not. They're next to the cheapest ones you can buy. Um. So, so anyway, I plug them up. I start. I lean over the tub because there's a number four. Um. Attachment on them, and uh, and I just started going to town because I know that on the sides of my head they faded up to like a one or two on the attachments. So I just went over everything, you know. So now I've got this, you know, I, I mean, people call it a 
Do you call it a crew cut? Military cut? Something. Buzz cut? It's buzz down. The top of my head's maybe a, up to a four, and the, the sides are two down to one or zero or whatever they faded it to. And guess what? I no longer have to worry about combing hair or anything. Because it's all like that. And I thought about that. I was like, you know, I just... I say these things on my podcast. I say these things to myself. You're, What do you care? What's more efficient for me? What's more convenient for me, right? And and really, that's what it came down to. I was like, you know, I, you know, if you're going to be single, right, you need to have have what have this haircut that looks a certain way, and like I'm trying to be on the Mad Men TV show or some suave guy from the 1950s or something. Care about that. A narcissist would probably care about those things, but I don't. You're narcissistic. You know why I mess with my eyebrows? By using a razor. I take the razor and I turn it slightly. You attach, like, the the lean that you do is to put, um, you just use a disposable razor, whatever, it don't matter. Um, I lean the top of it up against the area above my eyebrows and then kind of diagonal diagonally pull it away from my face the bottom and then I I almost like brush over the eyebrows and it trims away the excess um it, it's a it's not an exact science at all um the other thing that I'll do is stand all the hairs like I'll take my hand and push all the eyebrows straight up and then buzz them down with the um beard trimmer or whatever I have just press it up against section, 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 and just buzz off the extra so they don't look, you know, like a wild um, turkey or something. And I've dated, you know, people, and I've had coworkers or friends or family or whatever. Did you do your own eyebrows? <laughs> yeah, I did. If you have something to say about them, I'm going to listen. But I'm going to tell you my philosophy, and it's a pretty simple one. I... I'm on this side of the back of my eyes. My eyes look forward. My eyebrows are not in my field of vision. Every now and then I come across a reflection in a mirror, a side view, a bathroom, car window, whatever it might be. Every now and then I run across seeing my reflection. But it's a, an extremely small part of, of my week. Not just a day a week. I, I hardly look in the mirror on a daily basis. Even every third day. Well, don't you? Yeah, I run in there and I brush my teeth. I spit it out. I rinse some water. And I keep moving. I'm not standing in front of the mirror for a long time. I don't shave every day or anything. So, my philosophy on eyebrows and the way my hair is cut or whatever else is, I don't have to look at it. You could complain about the outside of my car. I'm on the inside driving it. What do I care what the outside looks like? Why do you care? Are you taking selfies? with? There's people like that, right? They take photographs and selfies. and They own that car because it's a status symbol. 
Um, it's a piece of transportation as far as I'm concerned. That's it. It's all it's ever going to be. And eyebrows are they're very much designed to catch debris and do all these you know things against nature that are not always even part of our lives anymore. And so people have turned them into this this wild thing. And some people get them colored and shaded and microbladed and you know Botox up here and this that and then <laughs> I don't care. Superficial. That's that's what I would consider. A narcissistic kind of thing. They're admi- they are admiring their own selves. Look at my eyebrows. Look at what I did. <laughs> I don't care. I don't look the way that I look because I went out of my way to stand in front of a mirror at a gym. The work that I do is... difficult on a person's body. And... Part of it's muscle memory, because when I was younger, I played, you know, sport. I played soccer in the fall. That ended right into basketball across the winter, soccer in the spring, baseball in the summer. And I, I always was, you know, trying to swim in a pool or jump on the trampoline, run and throw a football. I'd throw a football up on the roof and let it come back down, and I'd catch it and run. Like, you know, I'm, and I'm fantasizing about being some member of the 49ers or whatever. I'm taking a tennis ball and throwing it off a wall and trying to catch it because I want to ca- be a better at catching fly balls and playing catch with myself than somebody else. So, you know, I don't pretend that I have some, you know, if I sat down and, and drank water instead of Dr. Pepper and would do 40 sit-ups every day, I'd probably look fashionably different from the your xiphoid process from your breastplate down. But not that I'm a chunky individual, but I just... I don't care. So what's, what's that going to do for me? It's not better for my gut health. It's I, You could probably argue something about prolonging my life or having discipline or whatever, and I'd say, nah, I'm all right. I'm I'm willing to trade that one. This doesn't matter to me. I just, I don't, I don't follow along with these superficial things that people have where they go out of their way to try to say, yeah, I'm going to get this tattoo. That's right. Got to have this purse. Louis Vuitton, baby. Who cares? Somebody else made that bag. You happen to have a bag made by somebody else. The only thing you could be saying in those situations is I can afford it. Or I'm, uh, I barter to such a degree that I ended up with this bag by uh, more efficient or cheaper or smarter means than somebody who overpaid for the bag. We didn't manufacture the bag. You wanted to brag about the bag you're carrying around. You'd make your own. And when people say, hey, that's a nice bag, you say, yep, I made it. That's my horse. Never a thing back in the day. I'm as right. I'm riding so and so's horse. Like who cares? That's their horse. That's their bag. You paid them for it. I don't know. What, I don't. If you look good, does wouldn't you just give the credit to Planet Fitness or something? After all, they're the place that you did all the working out. I don't really see people doing that, but you know. That's right, you got a nice garden. That's right, it's because I shop at Tractor Supplies where I get all my soil. I go down to the landfill and 
buy that uh, leaf mulch that they sell. I go to the, the big box store and, and buy whatever supplements and nutrients and accessories. And what is that? You just want good quality stuff. I only use the name brand. What what does that mean? If you now the argument that the old school argument for that is that you buy Hershey's chocolate because you want to support that town in Pennsylvania and those people and that company and that way of life. So you are loyal to them because you want to continue to have them be someone who supplies you. So you continue to do business with the same people you always did business with. That's where it comes from. Oh, that's right. You buy, yeah, I only buy this one kind of milk. I only buy pet milk. I only buy my sausage from Smithfield or whatever. And I appreciate where some people think about that locally and you go, hey, this is a North Carolina company. Yeah, or Haynes Brands or Lowe's Foods or Lowe's Hardware or Pepsi Cola is, is out of Salisbury. You got all these places that do different aviation stuff in North Carolina. A lot of people have, you know, home bases. And sometimes it's somebody's headquarters is somewhere else. But, yeah, IBM is right down there in, in Raleigh. Or you may look at, you know, I want to go see this movie. They filmed it down in Wilmington in the, you know, in the, the district where they film. Uh, am I, am I going to, I'm going to screw this up. But it's one of those Willows Creek or Dawson's Creek or some kind of show like that. New Haven, something. I don't know. I didn't watch them. Some teen show filmed down there. But uh, I, I just, I don't understand the newer kinds of things that people do um for the name recognition i just don't it, it doesn't make sense to me and i suppose that they may have What I don't know. I don't know. What what I'm struggling for what you would say, but um, I suppose you could tell me that I buy Samsonite luggage because it holds up better. It's more durable. It's got that I don't know hard case. You know, it's reputable. The reputation, etc. That would be something that you could say. You know, I have this thing for the durability of it. And I understand that to a degree of, of functionality. But to have something for the vanity of it is is different. And that's where the number one similar word to narcissism here, at least according to your to your friends at Google, uh, is vanity. I don't it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't buy the doctor perky or dr thunder or you pick your third party version of dr pepper I do, the reason i haven't ever gotten those is they don't it doesn't taste the same to me that's all that's all it is it doesn't have anything to do with saving dollars or whatever um food line is the local grocery chain here in north carolina or started in north carolina and they have some very interesting flavored drinks like the strawberry orange grape the strawberry tastes just like if you were to get a, a strawberry something from um, Burger King. And so I used to, and the secret to those drinks is they don't give you the, the 
you know, give you the crazy burp and bubbles and, and this feeling that you're going to explode from inside if you chug them when they're hot. There's something different about the way those drinks are manufactured. If I turn this Dr. Pepper up, cold or warm or whatever, and just start going glug, 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 <laughs> I promise your chest feels like, you know, when a torpedo hits a submarine or something, it's got that big, you know, the big, in the movies, the oxygen bubble that has to come to the surface. That's how it feels. <laughs> you chug this stuff. I feel like, you know, maybe somebody should take something and jab it right into my chest and let all that out, you know. Um, what you, is that a tracheotomy? Whatever, where you stick the pin through the guy's neck so he lives and he can breathe. Uh, that, except an esophagotomy or whatever it would be to, to stick it through your uh, stomach and get all that out from right between your your nipple area or something down there. Just because I'm telling you. If you drink these drinks from the food line, you can you can chug the whole bottle, and you're like, "Oh man, that was smooth." It's like chugging water. It doesn't bother me. Not the same. Now, some of that stuff, like when, you, and that's the the secret of if you don't understand the milk challenge. The reason that the milk challenge is a challenge is because it expands when it, it gets warmer in your body, and so the milk comes down into your stomach and then it starts to expand and then it starts to, you know, cause problems. And so it wants to come back up. I've never looked that up. If you, this is kind of different to do the podcast this way. Well, we don't have a research assistant. If you drink warm milk, I wonder if it would do the same thing. Hmm. <laughs> I was looking. This says what? <laughs> this this first <laughs> this the top answer here says. What are some tips for the gallon <laughs> challenge of drinking a full gallon of milk? And the first answer <laughs> says, don't. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> uh, if you're a larger person, your stomach uh, can, can accommodate maybe more, but any given stomach on an average basis can, uh, can accommodate roughly a liter, according to this. Uh, this uh, person, and so doing a whole gallon is is a really bad idea. It expands your your stomach too much, and it forces the milk back to the surface. I had always thought that part of that process is that if you, if you're drinking something that's cold, um, as it gets warmer, it expands. Uh, hot air expands, and and so if you drank warm milk, maybe you could beat the challenge. I don't, when I tried to Google that, I didn't see anything along those lines. Though people are probably not uh, big fans of drinking warm milk. So, if you're out there and you try that, you you know, my email's cravermichaelL at gmail.com. Try it. Have something wonderful to say. But, I wish you luck. It's just an, it's just an idea that I have. Shoot us over to some commercials and we'll be right back. The mouth-watering Big Mac with a savory filio fish and a tasty McChicken. My goodness, that looks good. Oh, oh, 
You're making a McDonald's menu hat. Yes, a land, air and sea. Oh, it's going to tip over. No, it's good. It's good. Very stable. Order the land, air and sea by name, build it by hand and hack the McDonald's menu. I'm surprised at how attracted I am to it. Here we are coming back after a savory McDonald's chicken sandwich. I love Brian Cox from uh, so many great movies, The Glimmer Man. Specifically, he's uh, he's so wonderful uh, in The 25th Hour, which is a Spike Lee joint with Edward Norton. He plays the father who owns a bar. Um, I was going over some of my notes here for the podcast, and I had mentioned already Emily Post's etiquette. I was I had already written that down before I heard about this review, and I thought, oh, that's just what I'm doing is going against the book of etiquette. Um, the DND. I love the do not disturb function. If you're not listening to this podcast on airplane mode, you're not doing it right, man. Well, I guess you can't listen to this on a airplane mode because then it would kill your stream unless you download the podcast I guess some ways you can listen to these offline listen to it on do not disturb you don't want anybody to disturb you while you're listening to Michael L. Craver presents that's the I'm just trying to think of the most narcissistic way to, to get you to listen to the podcast put it on do not disturb once you press start tune on friends, friends family all them people they don't matter anymore it's just me for the next however long we spend together Talked about my headphones, wonderful headphones. My friend, <laughs> friend of mine, he only uses you know the over-the-ear headphones. Doesn't believe in the earbuds are, are very good. Um, he's always been a big fan of um, the company called Sennheiser or Seinhauser. I'm not quite sure. I've never heard anybody pronounce it, but it's S E I N H A U S S E R, I believe. And they're somewhat kind of pricey, but I know he's very big on like listening to. Um, old records and things of this nature where, you know, to him, it's like you're, he's treating those sounds like an archaeologist digging up treasure. I mean, he's very much like, you know, as you listen to it, it's just going to be this magical experience. And the, not necessarily the more you pay, but the better the technology that you're using, whatever that costs, um, the more enriching the experience is going to be. And to him, it's the same as having uh, a fine uh, dessert made from the best ingredients. And so in order to, to enjoy those, you wouldn't want to have any impurities. And that's why you go to the higher end of technology. Which does not always cost the most, by the way. But he recommends um, the, the Sennhauser for uh, having the best listening experience. Um, paying down accounts. Yeah, I did... <laughs> I, if you don't do that, I highly recommend it. But one of the ways that I've tried to be more fiscally responsible so that I can see what I can give to other places and stuff is to look and see, you know, what am I, what are my spending habits? And so many of these places now, especially because I use Discover, um, I use American Express, I use City, I use uh, USAA, I use some other places. And so those are wonderful companies that, uh, have these analytical ways that break down, you know, you spent this many dollars on restaurants and this much on food and this much on transportation or hotels or that, these things that I don't spend money on. But they break it down for you in a way that it's supposed to be um, helpful. 
so that you know where your not only where your money's going but where your patterns are and I'm sure it helps them with how to advertise to you but for me it's a way to clean out and spend less money it's what it is um it's just how it is uh so I'll I'll go pay down those accounts and every now and then I'll go look through some of those man why is there $300 on this credit card you know Oh, because I took everybody out to dinner for my daughter's birthday. Oh, yes, forgot. I, I forgot that was still on there. And the reason you use a credit card for everything is because not only does it delay the the money really coming out of your account for six weeks, but at the same time, it builds um, your credit, and you have the ability to earn cash back. So your credit score can go up, you get some cash back, you get the, a delay on the payments. It's um, It's a system that's built so that if you're lost in that false sense of security, you can end up <clears throat> paying high interest rates. So I put mine on auto pay. I responsibly spend. And then, you know, I follow the Michael Craver rule of spending. Spend less than you make. Pretty simple, right? Cleaning out my phone. I highly recommend people do this. You go in there. If you just, I don't know, highly, you know, on a regular basis, all I do is, you know, open it up, hit that little square button on my Moto Z3 Play, and I close all the windows. Just close them all. Don't have a bunch of stuff running. Go through there after it auto backs up all of your photographs, and you got to be in the right setting, by the way, because I didn't realize I could access all of it um, and clear out, you know, a, a lot of excess photos and, and things that are just like sitting around that you got already stored in another place. And, um, I just I think that it's quite healthy for people to have some bearing on. It's kind of like looking at how much stuff is in your closet. But people don't go through phones and digital space and things and just go, "Wow, there's there's seventy thousand pictures on here." There ain't never enough me on my phone. A couple hundred, maybe, and then I flush them out. Most of them get deleted, but I, I keep a few. But it runs better that way. It's the reason I go in and, you know, if I, if you have a bunch of stuff that you download because you need it for files on your computer or something, if you don't need them in the long run, go back and delete them. Don't just stockpile everything like the um, the CIA or, you know, some Homeland Security or something. You just got this mountain of files to go through and you know, disseminate what is important today and flush it out if it's not. Keep everything running smoothly. The less stuff that that phone has to decipher through and the memory has to carry, the more of that free space, the, the more fluently it's going to do everything you need it to do or the more fluidly it's going to run. And uh, I highly recommend doing that. It's also very therapeutic. Sometimes you run across stuff you don't want to be in there. Huh? What is this? Delete. You know, you just do your thing. So, <laughs> so I have fun with that too. Um... Yeah, I had written this down several episodes back and and didn't follow through with it. I guess I I told a, a few of the, a few of those things, but what had been written down that I didn't go into was my. I don't think I did. I don't think I did. Now that I'm looking at this, I might have my memory. That's CTE. <laughs> memory ain't what it used to be. Uh, I have written down here favorite favorite clothing. You know, for I just don't. I don't have these w wicked. 
things that I think are just like the go-to items to have in your closet or otherwise. I, I own a handful of different tools that I think that people should functionally have in their home. Uh, having a pair of sandals and a pair of tennis shoes and a pair of walking shoes, you know, those, those are not bad uh, to have each each one of those kinds. Um, I had written down, what's your favorite piece of clothing? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's probably not in dispute sitting on the back of my, I think it's hanging in a closet now, but it was hanging on the back of a chair in the kitchen for the longest time. My father was going to throw out his old softball jacket, and he said, I was holding on to that. I thought you might want it. He said, I was going to throw it away. And I said, no, let me have that. <laughs> and I put it on and wear it around the house and whatever, and it's, it's just an old, it's one of those little old vinyl-looking kind of jackets that everybody, you know, the coach had in, in high school before people went to windbreakers and now all this modern technology. But it's the old, you know, it's got the the big cuffs on it and, and then the cloth neck and then the rest of the jacket's got that shiny kind of vinyl to it or whatever. And it's just a 30-year-old, for maybe, no, it's 30-year-old um, community softball jacket. It'll never mean anything to anybody else. I bet nobody knows what it means. I showed a picture of it to my mother. She didn't know what it was. She was married to him while he was playing on the team. And she, and she looked at it and she said, what is that? I said, well, they changed sponsors from years back, and it was it was Beck's Masonry, which is the guy who owned who owned the Masonry company, but he was sponsoring the team. Uh, was also the coach, and and it went. He wasn't part of the newer team, so it was Leroy's Framing Company, which I think Leroy was. Uh, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you who he was. But best of my knowledge and the best guess that I have is that he was. When I say framing, it had to do with construction, and he. Gave some money to the softball team to buy balls and buy jackets and, and stuff like that. And they put his name on some stuff. He was just trying to do something nice for the church. I ought to know who he is based on knowing basically everybody else involved in the church that time. But I think like when Marley's Drug, which is a local pharmacy here, uh, had sponsored the team. I, I think it's like that. I didn't necessarily have any familiarity with these people that made the donations because they weren't made from inside of the church membership. They were made from, you know, somebody else. And I think about that nowadays and I'm like, well, hell, I'll, you know. I I really would. I'd probably just tell them, put whatever you want on there. Here's some dollars and make up a sponsorship or just put the church name on your jackets. I can't imagine giving them a thousand dollars and saying, here. Now, on the back of that jacket, now I wanted to say, Michael L. Craver presents softball. <laughs> I'm just picturing how outrageous that is right now. Uh, Michael presents softball. He, he made all this possible. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. One of my favorite backgrounds that I, I ever had, and it switches through, but it was I downloaded this big... I don't know if it, remember if it was a zip file, but it was certainly a folder, a collection of quotes that people had had enlarged, uh, or they made them very large anyway. And um, one of the quotes is about, oh, can I pull it up and get the the wording correct? D in silence quote. Uh, 
Well, that's not it. I know I've used that one a lot. A fair request should be followed by the deed in silence. Hmm. It's something along the lines of See, now that one is not what I like. That one says the nicest feeling in the world is to do a good deed anonymously and have somebody find out. Nah, I don't like that one. And I'm not, I'm not going to do it live and go through, I'm not going to go find that folder of quotes, which is on my computer. Um, and pull it out, but it's, it's to the tune of, or the, the philosophy behind the quote was that, um, Essentially, the best thing that you can do is do something for someone um, anonymously and walk away. I always, I always like um, I always like that. One of the things that I, I collected from watching the Karate Kid Part Two. As uh, as I was watching it, I did watch it after the podcast. Um, there's a wonderful um, quote by Mr. Miyagi, and he says <laughs> that you never put. passion before principle even if you win you lose never put passion in front of principle hmm. and I thought about that a lot after the show and after talking about you know not being unhappy with where I am being you know more or less alone on my journey and if I help folks that's great um, I think that's worthwhile, but trying to do something that has to be for me or selfishly or to, you know, hey, you have to do this to be happy and family and friends and, yeah, I, I really like the idea of doing things for your community, to better the culture and the world around you, to be the change you want to see and all those fancy quotes. However, um... I've thought more and more about how to do those things anonymously. I mean, that's, that's always been part of my, my deal is, you know, I'll leave a box of cookies in somebody's front door or they're on their desk in a locker, wherever I might have been at that time in life. And to me, that's very important to be able to let somebody enjoy something. I've gotten to where I'll leave like a little, you know, 
make sure you enjoy this kind of thing. Um, because you, you don't want someone to think that they got it in error and then give it away. It was for them. So, so I've gotten to where I'll leave a little note uh, that's unable to be traced back to the, the anonymous gifter. Because I think that's super important. But folks just... They worry too much about trying to trigger people and control conversations and it's just a ridiculous notion that people have that you I, I've said this and in and, and this is the, the duplicitous way that I've tried to do this in the two directions. People will ask questions in a way that um it's like they they want to ask something you have to answer in order to get to the next step. So you have to get out from underneath of their questions. I said, now, there's, there's one of two ways I look at this. There's not a third direction. You either need to control the language, the narrative, the conversation by asking these questions so that someone has to answer you, and then you have to give up control of the conversation, or you're ignorant. You don't have the information. Ignorance in and of itself is not a bad thing. It means you lack the information, but you're ignorant. You don't genuinely have the, you know, the information. Because the, the controlling version of it is, I need you to address this now. You're going to do this for me. Okay. The other thing is, you could be naive, and you could say, I, I don't know what this is. Can you address this for me? Okay, now I can move forward. But that is... The handicap, the speed bump that's built into both scenarios. You know what's going on, and so they have to address it to move forward. Or you don't know what's going on. Now we have to address it to understand and move forward. Either way, it dictates the pace of the conversation and what happens next. And it's a shame that those things happen to people, um, whether you're the, the giver or the receiver, because it destroys the fabric of a fluid conversation and especially takes away any of the trust that you can build between the two people who are speaking. You have to realize at some point, as, as the person who's doing it, uh, if you're conscious, then you're basically doing evil. Uh, or if you're the person who's on the other side of it, that, hey, wait a minute, they're always asking all the questions. And it's, it is. It's one of those things where, you know, you remember the, the funny one is, the funny version is the Dwight Schrute, right? The KJB asked the questions. You know, <laughs> and then Jim's, you know, the KGB will wait for no one, smacks him upside the head or whatever. Um, we all know these funny things, but I mean, think about that in real practice. Person A continues to ask, oh, you don't know what you're doing? Okay, we'll talk about this for me. Uh-huh, and how about this? And it's an interrogation is all they're doing. It's ridiculousness. And if they're naive to these things, how do they have the next steps planned out? Hmm. It's dishonest. What they're doing is dishonest. And as we know, 90 degrees. 90 degrees is just, just going to be my calling card. You turn 90 degrees. Dishonesty is not welcome here. Mm. So I let people know that. I say, hey, tell me which one of these it is. Are you, are you controlling the conversation or are you ignorant and you need the information? Which one is it? 
generally speaking, the conversation ends at that point because they've been outed and they got to get out of town. Hopefully they stop doing that crap. They find a way to have a, a very accepting and very open-minded conversation where both people just speak how they need to speak and they find comfort through practice because at this point all they have found is that insecurity can be cured in such a way by taking and just malevolently just forcing questions right on the other person and not answering what the other person says and it's a shame when that stuff happens Mm-mm-mm. take another break and I hope that you are enjoying yourself Whenever you're listening to this, we'll be back with more Michael L. Craver Presents. Coke with coffee. We blended Coke with rich coffee for one very good reason. Your afternoon pick-me-up routine needed it. Simple as that. Coke with coffee. As we've come to know at the final chapter of this episode of Michael L. Craver Presents, I am... Just enjoying the rain outside the window during the the commercial break, and what a wonderful rainbow that's forming from uh, the storm passing. I think about that a lot. One of my maybe my favorite, um, at least dramatic movie, maybe Stephen King's storm of the century and you can go look it up on youtube and watch the whole thing there i don't know if it's on any streaming services but certainly the dvd is available it was in five dollar bins and stuff for the longest time but uh, andre lenoge comb fior who's uh, an extremely talented canadian actor um plays uh, it's hard you know philosophically is he the good guy or is he the bad guy you don't know by the end it's a miniseries I think that each piece of that miniseries is right at between 70 and 90 minutes and it's three parts so I, I want to tell you that it's it would be safe to say you need God, I know you need at least three hours I, I'm trying to think whether you need four and a half or more hours to watch that thing but it's good it's very good and it's tied into a couple of different things uh, from history and uh, from a theological sense. And I guess you're left wondering what it means, if it's something that is practical, if it's something that's supernatural. But it's it's quite a—the the last, like, 45 minutes are this discussion that town is having about what to do with choices that are in front of them. And I— there's so many great lines that are in that, you know, what are you supposed to do when none of the choices look good, you know? Aren't you supposed to have all these people around you help you, you know, in your time of need? You know, so there were, you know, all these sort of, they're community-based discussion marks that they're having, but at the same time, it seems quite, clear that everything is a no-win situation and the constant do you believe and do you believe in the consequences of what's going on and 
not only that, which outcome would be <laughs> would basically be the the least catastrophic is the way that uh, they frame up the way that movie goes. And the last piece of it has this wonderful, you know, this is a cash and carry world. You pay as you go. Sometimes it's a little. Mostly it's a lot. Once in a while. It's everything you have. I don't have that I'm reading from somewhere. Just There's certain things that stick with me. I've, I've never forgotten that. And I love, if I sit down and I start to watch the end of that movie, you can bet that do not disturb function is probably that or I'm going to take the phone and slide it down the hallway or something. I don't, I'm not interested in anything else. It's a good reminder. That's my Sunday school. Watching Goodwill Hunting is my Sunday school. Things like An Inconvenient Truth or The Story of Plastic, A Plastic Ocean. Um, I really enjoy things like Modern Marvels and Constructive Things. You know, just watching. YouTube has a lot of those um, oh, I'm not going to come up with a word, but they have these project documentaries where if you want to watch something about how they built the Three Gorges Dam in China, the Panama Canal, these, you know, wild uh, buildings across the world, whether it's that, I don't the name's not coming to me, but the is it a mile-high tower that they have in Dubai or whatever the world's tallest building, things of that nature. I just, I'm fascinated by some of those engineering projects as much as watching someone have um, a philosophical or or theological debate and those are the things that you know there's what if and you know what are the best long-term decisions are my preference they resonate with me the most they they give me the most uh, for my time or my viewing dollar um, just trying to think what the how this quote goes um, <laughs> who, who's is it Eleanor it is an Eleanor Roosevelt quote at least that's how it's uh, attributed here yeah great minds talk about ideas Average minds talk about events. Small minds talk about people. I suppose narcissism as an idea would make you a great mind. But in the end, you're just talking about people. Narcissism doesn't exist without the people. But anyway, I, I quite enjoy um, certain things, and those are like my, my Sunday school to sit down and watch things like um, even The Butterfly Effect, which I watched recently for the first time in like 15 years. I um, take a lot away from that. I have been in plenty of situations where, you know, sometimes we could have handled it differently or the future could be a different way. If we, you know, 
wouldn't repeat that decision. That's that's where we're that's where we're looking. I like the fact that you know other folks really enjoy the theater of movies and they think, oh that's great acting and this and this and this and this. I've always you know I enjoy the presentation of certain things, but the story has always been what's most important to me. The other night, my buddy was telling me, you know, I'm watching this and, you know, you got to turn this on. And I sent him a screenshot while I was watching and Superman was, he's laying there getting ready to pick up the kryptonite spear. And Lois is looking at him and he says, this is my world. You are my world. And she was looking at him like, no, don't be doing that. You know, and he's getting ready to take off and 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 go do battle with Judgment Day. Uh, I'm sorry, Doomsday. Um, in um, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Uh, but yeah, I, there's so many little things in those movies. You know, people love those quotes that they, you know, there's a three hour movie, a two hour movie, an hour and a half, whatever, and they're watching the Avengers, and. They're watching Thanos, and he's like, oh, the hardest choices require the strongest will. And you're like, oh, hey, hey that's pretty profound. You know, and people, people like those kinds of things. I and mean, there's lots of things in those Batman movies that uh, people pull out and, and really enjoy. I've always thought that the Dark Knight movies really resemble the world at large, right? 2008, and there's the housing crisis, and then there's the, the world in front of us was a lot of Islamic or otherwise radical terrorism, which is metaphorically defined by the... Uh, the League of Shadows and Bane and the, the Dark Knight Rises and stuff. So uh, when you see those things where, you know, the Joker's, it's not about money, it's about sending a message. I mean, people love those things, but they love them in the context of the movie. Well, pull them out and put them in a quote book, and they're just as, as spectacular. It doesn't require Heath Ledger. I like that people have presented them in this extremely memorable way. You know, now you don't have to picture it. Um, in your mind, it's not a generic guy sitting there with a you know a wig and wooden teeth in some ancient place. You see it, right? It's it's part of a presentation, but it doesn't change it for me. The, now on the side of my desk over there is the Harper's Book of Quotations, the most brilliant thoughts in two lines or less by John M. Uh, Shanahan, and also there's the double volume, which is the complete Far Side collection from. Um, Gary Larson. And that's an expensive set, or could be. But I bought it where somebody had broken one of the books. And I didn't know it was all the way broken. But one of the better experiences I've had in the last couple of years of getting somebody to help me with something, I emailed the archivist, or the archivist, or however you pronounce it, um, person at the University of North Carolina Greensboro. And she sent me a tutorial and wrote out step by step, you know, how to best repair this the spine of this book and so i did and now i have a, a a functioning set of complete far side cartoons from gary larson and it's a nice thing to look through there and just see the irony and the language and what's really funny and stuff like that and i just i pull it out and it's kind of like watching cartoons and looney tunes and jackass and tom and jerry and foghorn and maybe you love fail army maybe you love thug life videos on, on youtube whatever it is that you enjoy that can kind of teach you those lessons through um, misfortune or sarcasm or exaggeration are not necessarily bad. 
we don't always want and need to have a real life Elmer Fudd, right? It's okay. Sure, there's you know Neville Chamberlain was his own kind of guy, but <laughs> peace in our time. <laughs> yeah, okay, but I just I don't think people appreciate taking those things and applying them to, to the world in front of us and thinking about oh yeah, it's obvious we shouldn't do that. It's a great way to learn lessons. You don't have to take everything from a TED Talk. I spent part of my evening yesterday watching the new season. It's on Paramount+. Plus. The new season of Mike Judges be with some butthead. <laughs> I love those guys. You know, I, I can't see enough of it. You know, if I had a couple of things, and I, it wouldn't be one, but if I had to, to narrow it down to a couple of TV shows, I've always had all the episodes of Sanford and Son, still have them all on DVDs. The Beavis and Butthead, I have all the collections. And I love those, you know, practical, you know, silly situations that people handle recklessly. Comedy is important. Plausibility is important, right? Integrity, respect, dignity, and plausibility. The four foundations of the house of Michael L. Craver. Anyway, i got to wrap this up. i got to get to work. It's 6.30, and I hope that everyone out there enjoys their week, um, is having a wonderful wrap-up. I know it's about time for kids to go back to school, things to change, and uh, start buying your, de- your Halloween decorations and doing all that stuff. Think ahead. Maybe you need a 15-foot scarecrow to go in your yard. <laughs> These are wild things that they, they market nowadays. But... Um, uh, some friends of mine were talking about, yeah, we went shopping, man. They had Halloween decorations. It scared the hell out of my kids. <laughs> and I said, well, that's what church is supposed to do. Get the hell out of you. And he kind of looked at me like, mmm. It made sense. My cousin Edward's the first one who ever told me that joke. That's what church does. Beats the hell out of you. <laughs> so, here's to Edward, and here's to all of you having a safe night. Take care. Thank you.